0: I'd you to take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13 once again. Matthew chapter 13. This morning we're going to be looking once again at the kingdom parables in Matthew 13 that Jesus Christ tells. There's a phrase out there that many of you, maybe you've heard in passing, you probably haven't uh, dwelt too much on it. Uh, and if, uh, But a lot of the kids today understand this word and they use it. A lot of uh, young people, uh, they look forward to this thing, and it's called going viral. Uh, going viral. Now, it used to be that going viral was a bad thing because it meant that you picked up some kind of virus and you're sick. Uh, and that's what it used to mean as going viral. But but today, young kids and, and young people, teenagers especially, um They use this phrase to mean something else. It's not that you've gotten sick with a virus, but it means that you've made it. Uh, On social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you post a picture. And depending on how many likes you get, uh, over a thousand usually typically means you've gone viral. Uh, So you can imagine what happens if a thousand people see your post and then they share it. And then a thousand more people see it, and then a thousand more, a thousand more. And so there's this growth that's involved. And the kids, that, that's what they live for. They, they they basically say, if you've gone viral, then you've made it. And this is the world's view of success. It's to be bigger and better and faster and stronger. It's to be the one that's the most recognized. It's to be the one uh, that has all of the attention. And that's the way that the world looks at things. Going viral. but. One of the interesting things about Christ is he says in his kingdom, it's the exact opposite of that. It's not about going viral. It's not about growth that's evident that you can see. It's not about being bigger or better or faster or stronger, but it's about the opposite of that. Now, you need to remember two things as we talk about this today. Uh, First of all, that you were made for glory. You were made to live in God's glory and to uh, enjoy his glory. But then also that you will trade God's glory for counterfeits. The counterfeit to God's glory, as we're going to see today, is bigness, is greatness, uh, is success in the way that the world offers it. And Jesus says that you need to be careful for buying into that view of success. And the parables teach us about God's glory and about his glorious kingdom. First of all, we saw the parable of the sower, if you remember that a few weeks ago. And we saw there the free offer of the gospel that to everyone the kingdom is offered. That everyone hears, can hear the offer of the kingdom. But only a few people actually have hearts that have been prepared to receive that gospel message. So there's once again a picture of smallness. Secondly, um, we saw the parable of the weeds. This was last week. That we currently live in God's kingdom, in Christ's kingdom, that the kingdom has come. But in the midst of Christ's kingdom, we are not perfected just yet, and his kingdom isn't perfect. So we should expect for there to be trials and tribulations along the way. And then today, we're going to see some paradoxes in Christ's kingdom. Uh, Let me read this for you. This is going to be Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Hear God's good word to you today. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. And we thank you, Lord, that even now you're at work in our hearts, that the Spirit is always working, doing what you would have it do, either calling us to faith or hardening our hearts. We thank you that the word never returns void and that you are always working. Father, we pray that we would understand this word today. That we would see the glory of your kingdom. That we would see the glory of your son Jesus Christ. And that we would hear your gospel message. pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So we're going to look at this in three ways. Three paradoxes that were presented here. First of all, the kingdom is small. Christ's kingdom is small. Secondly, the second paradox is that Christ's kingdom is Ordinary. Christ's kingdom is ordinary. And then thirdly, that Christ's kingdom is open. I'm going to explain why those are paradoxes uh, to us as we go along here. So first of all, the kingdom of heaven is small. Um, I'm showing a lot of restraint here this morning because what I would like to do is go into and dive into my deep theology of shortness and how God prefers short people over tall people. I would love to do that. This would be a perfect opportunity for me to do that this morning. I'm going to show restraint and not do that. But just let me, let, let me tell you that when a book comes out on a theology of shortness, this is going to be central to that book. Notice here that Jesus intends to shock the people that are listening to him. This is a shocking thing that Jesus says. He says that his kingdom, in verse 31, is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, what's so shocking about that? Well, understand this, that when you talk about kingdoms, you're not talking about small things. You're talking about large things. The whole purpose of having a kingdom is to wield power and influence. There are three things that make a good kingdom, according to the world. First of all, you need a strong military. That's why in an election season, we're going to hear a lot about the military over and over and over. In order for the, the kingdom of the United States to be strong, we need to have a strong military. Secondly, strong kingdoms need influential and important leaders. That's why we go through the whole mess that we go through to elect the right leader, to make sure he or she is the most influential leader that we have leading the kingdom Of the United States. And then thirdly the thing that a kingdom needs in order to be successful is wealth. You need at least those three things in order to have a good kingdom. And that's the the backdrop for what Jesus is saying is look at the Roman kingdom. Look at the Roman government and how they operate. That's the backdrop here. The people would be hearing all of the things that Christ was saying as they're listening to him speak from a boat. And they're surrounded here, they're, they're surrounded by this very palatial and, and good-looking scene and all of these things. But even surrounded, them would be Roman centurions that are wielding power and influence. He's talking to a people who are under the oppression of the Roman government. And he says that his kingdom is not first and foremost about power and influence and military power. He says, you want to know what my kingdom is like? Take a mustard seed. I wish I had one out and I would hold it up for you just to see. It would be about like this because you can't see it. And maybe Christ had a mustard seed and he says, look at this mustard seed. This is what my kingdom is like. And everyone would have said, your kingdom is like a mustard seed. You can't even see it. It's so small. But Jesus says that's what his kingdom is like. This is Christ in his big cell to the people. He's a salesman right here and he's saying you want to get be a part of my kingdom you want to be a part of what I'm doing you want to be a part you want to be an investor in my in my business venture here's what you need to know it's small it's not influential and you're not going to see it grow how's that for a sale let's say you have some money and somebody they want you to be a part of the business that they're starting okay and and they come to you and they say and you say well what's the big thing about this business what makes your business so great and you say nothing much and they say, well, are you going to make money? Eh, probably not. Well, are you going to hire a bunch of people? Nah, no, we're not going to do that. Well, what's the point of your business? Well, that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. This is his big sell. He's going to his kingdom investors and he says, you want to be a part of what I'm doing? Well, we're not going to be very influential. We're not going to have a lot of money. We're going to be a lot like this little mustard seed. You don't sell your business by pointing out how small it is. You don't sell your business by saying, we're going to be very unsuccessful in what we're doing. And that's exactly what Christ is doing here. Jesus says, my kingdom to the eyes of the world is very unsuccessful. And it's insignificant. Now, here's the paradox. Here's the thing that doesn't seem to go together. That Christ has a kingdom that is small. But it's Small bigness. It's big in its smallness. From a seed, Jesus says, that is barely there that you can't see, what happens? A large tree goes. Now, there are two types of mustard trees that grow in Palestine. One grows to about 10 feet and one grows to 25 feet. We don't know which type Jesus is talking about. It doesn't really matter which type it is because the growth is significant either way. From that little tiny mustard seed, a large tree grows from it. Now, the appearance of Christ's kingdom from the outside is that nothing much is happening. And from the world's perspective, it's a small thing that doesn't really matter. Now, here's the thing. This has been the history uh, of God's people from the very beginning. God said in Genesis chapter 3 that a woman was going to bear a child, and the seed of the serpent was going to try to kill the seed of the woman. And so in Genesis 3, that's the story, that this, this enmity is going to exist between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And then immediately, God's people in Genesis chapter 4, what happens? Abel is one of God's people, and the king kills Abel. And then you get this long chapter, Genesis 4, of the kingdom of the world growing in significance and power and influence. And all the while, you're left asking, where is God? Where is his kingdom? And then at the very end of Genesis 4, you're introduced to another character, Seth. But then Seth dies, and then Seth has children, and all them die. And then over and over and over in Genesis 5, they die, they die, they die. And then the people in the kingdom of the world, it's getting worse and worse and worse until ultimately in Genesis chapter 6, God kills everyone except for one man. This is the story of the uh, since the, from the very beginning. This is the way that history works, that God's kingdom looks small and insignificant. That it starts very, very, very small. And then you go from Noah and then you go to Abraham. And how many children does Abraham have? He has one. And then how many children does Abraham's one child have? He, he has two. And then ultimately you get 12 children from, from Jacob. And then it grows. But even still, the nation of Israel is small and in, insignificant. And that's the way that God wants it. A small and insignificant nation, a small and insignificant kingdom that looks like nothing very much is happening. What do we learn from this? Well, we need to learn this, that we should not despise the small things in this world. We love big splashes. We love coaches being carried off the field by their team, on their shoulders. We love the state championships that Silliman won. We love the big things, the big businesses, the important things. And Jesus says, if you're looking for my kingdom to be like that... It's never going to be, so stop looking at that. There's actually a ministry that I'm familiar with uh, in co- on college campuses, and their goal, this is their expressed goal, and it is to get the influential leaders that are Christians on campus to be a part of their ministry. Because their method of growing their ministry is, if we can get the good leaders, the good-looking people, the successful people that are already on campus, then everyone else is going to be attracted and they'll come to this ministry. Jesus' ministry method is completely opposite of that. He says, I don't want the successful people. I don't want the ones that everyone else is looking at. Look at the people who follow Jesus, the 12 disciples. They're poor fishermen. They're uneducated men. One of them is called a zealot. And that's somebody that's a revolutionary, a political revolutionary. God takes this man and puts him in his midst and says, you're no longer a political revolutionary. You're one of my followers now. He was a political revolutionary to make things bigger and better and to kick out the Roman government. He says, you're not about that anymore. He gets accountants to be in his team. (laughs) People that, you know, tax accountants, the worst of the worst people. He wants one of those guys to be on his team. He doesn't get the important people. He gets the unimportant and the despised. And guess what? That's good news for you. Because you are not important. You are not that big a deal. You are actually, in the eyes of the world, even though you might have some success today, in the grand scheme of things, you are nothing. And guess what? Jesus Christ is calling nothings like you and me to be a part of his kingdom. Because it's not about you, it's about him. That's good news. Jesus does not despise the small things of the world. That's the first uh, paradox that we see. The second paradox, the kingdom of heaven is ordinary. Look in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. This is the second shocking thing that Jesus is saying here. You and I hear it and we think, ah, yeah, it's bread, not a big deal. Okay, this is the most ordinary of all ordinary, the most mundane of all things that could be done. You see, throughout the history of the world, and in actually most places today, every single day begins with this, a woman waking up probably before everyone else in the house does, and she simply makes bread. This is the most ordinary of all ordinary, the most everyday of every activity that there could be. We're used to having bread nicely sliced for us in our homes. So all we have to do to get bread is go and open up the package and take it and eat it. But that's not the way that most people in the world live. You have to understand that in order for people to live life, they had to have a woman, more than likely, in the home making bread every single morning. Day after day after day, get this, for thousands and thousands of years, this is what most of the homes in the world look like, a woman waking up to make bread. It's the most ordinary of all activities. Now, there are two ways traditionally that we make bread. I have this yeast up here. Uh, This is the shortcut version. Now, anybody that's ever tried to make bread with yeast knows that it's not very much of a shortcut for us. Um, but this is the shortcut version. The, the way you used to make bread, the way you used to get leaven wasn't to get yeast. We've actually developed a way to get yeast and actually manufacture it so all you have to do is buy it and then put it in, in, flour, in flour and it leavens. But it used to be you had one of two ways to do it. You could take your flour and your water and you could just kind of let it sit on um, a counter somewhere for a couple of days and then after enough time would go by, enough spores and other stuff would float around in the air and land on the flour and then it would mix in and then eventually it would leaven the flour. The second way to do it... The faster way to do it, the way that Jesus talks about here, is to take some, some dough that's already leavened and to work it into the rest of the flour. And so that's the picture that Jesus says. He says, you want to know what my kingdom is like? like? It's like a woman. Now, why is this shocking? Women in this day were, uh, were thought very highly of. And Jesus says his kingdom is like a woman who works very hard at making bread. Very shocking for him to say that. He doesn't say, you want to know what my kingdom is like? He doesn't take a centurion and say, my kingdom is like that powerful centurion. He says, it's like a woman who makes bread. Eventually, this is what happens as she's making that bread. And as the the lump of, of already leavened dough gets in there. What happens over time, it works through the entire lump of dough. Eventually, the whole lump is leavened. Well, kingdom growth, he teaches us here, is absolutely sure. The kingdom is growing, but it's hidden. We can't see it. If you ever try to make bread this way, and you don't have a bread maker, you just kind of work some yeast in, you leave that lump of dough on the counter, um, and then go back and check it every few minutes and what happens. It doesn't look like anything happens. But given enough time, the dough rises, and then the whole house begins to smell like Good bread. And Jesus says that's exactly what is going on with his kingdom. Growth is happening, but it's hidden. Now, normally we can see growth. You could actually come back week after week to this church and you can see the Dawson kids and the Walker kids. You can watch them grow week after week. Hastings grew six inches in one day. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? We normally can see that growth, but Jesus says, if you're looking for growth in my kingdom, you will not find it. And this is our experience, our daily experience living in the United States. Here's what I want you to do. This is the only time I'm going to ask you to do this. Go home and turn on the news. I don't care which news that you like. CNN, Fox News, this will be the only time I tell you to do this. Most of the time I'm going to tell you to turn it off. Go home and watch it. And then you tell me how successful Christ's kingdom is today. You will walk away after listening to the news and you will say, Christ's kingdom is losing. Christ is not winning. There is no victory. Because to the our perspective and to the world, it's not working. And Christ says here, but remember, his kingdom is growing in hidden ways. How does his kingdom grow? And this is so important for us to understand as Christians. His kingdom grows in the ordinary In the mundane things of life. Again, remember this. You want a big splash. You want a big thing to happen. Every day we want something bigger or better to happen. But Christ's kingdom grows in the everyday in the ordinary. Christ's kingdom grows by simply waking up in the morning and praying, Lord, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And praying, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Simply praying a simple prayer in the ordinary and mundane things. It's in the simple little conversations that husbands and wives have with each other. Something that we throw them away, we don't even think about, but that's where God's kingdom grows. It's an opportunity in those morning conversations to wake up and to say, how are we going to glorify God today? And that's where God grows his kingdom. It's in the little conversations that you have with your children in the car. It's in the little things that are happening as they ask questions. Mommy, why do we go to church every week? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we pray? It's in those little things where Christ's kingdom is growing. And also it's in this. It's the inevitable disappointments of our life. It's whenever we bump up against the things in this world that we look at and we say, Oh, God can't possibly be in this It's in divorces. It's in our children rejecting the faith. It's in the disappointments of losing the job that we thought we had or the success even of the things that are happening in our life, the things that are good, that God is actually working to bring about his kingdom in the ordinary and the mundane things of this world. It's in weekly church attendance. I know most of you come every single week and you think, Ugh. It's the same old people. I'm tired of looking at them. It's the same old message. I'm tired of hearing it. God can't possibly be at work. But but notice that the Lord is at work even in something as ordinary as a church service every single week where we come. It's something as simple as daily Bible readings. It's something as simple as praying and asking for his help. In the simple and ordinary things, Christ is at work. And he delights to work that way. Now, the last thing that I want you to see is that the kingdom of heaven is open. This is the third and final paradox. Why is that a paradox? Why why is a kingdom being open? Why is that so shocking to us? Well, uh, we have a great example of why that's shocking to us today in the kingdom of the United States. We have 10,000 refugees. I'm not going to make a political statement about this, by the way. This is just an example for us to, 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 to listen to. But we have 10,000 refugees that most people in the United States do not want to allow into this kingdom. There's a variety of reasons for that. Most of them, I think, are good. But there's all of these things that are out there. And we say, our kingdom is closed to these people. The definition of a kingdom is one that has boundaries. And Jesus says, in these two stories, that his kingdom doesn't have boundaries, that his kingdom is open. Most kingdoms are known by their borders. You can pull up a map and you can identify the kingdoms of the world according to their borders. And Jesus says his kingdom is open. It is not like that. Now, how do we see that in these two parables? It's it's in two kind of throwaway things that we would just gloss over if we didn't pay attention to them. What are the two things? First of all, look, and he says this. Jesus doesn't have to say this to get his point across, but he he gives two details. He says the first one is that in verse 32, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. And this is that statement. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Why did Jesus have to say the birds of the air? Why did he, did he include that little detail? Well, here's why I think Jesus says that. The birds of the air are not the birds of domestication. They're not chickens and ducks and, and turkeys or anything like that. These are birds that you can't keep out of the garden. These are the birds that float around that are out there. And what are the birds? The uh, One translation actually calls them the wild birds. And what do they do? The wild birds... Come in to christ 's kingdom. well, this is Jesus welcoming in his day the Gentiles to the kingdom. The Gentiles were identified as the Jewish people as the unclean that are out there, the unclean birds that are out there, and the kingdom of Israel it's about us and the Jews, and we lock it off and Jesus says, no, absolutely not, that my kingdom is not us versus them, it's just them living in his kingdom enjoying the benefits of his shade enjoying his stability enjoying his branches and nesting in Christ and in his kingdom the birds of the air here's the thing it's the outsiders it's the one that the world's look at the world looks at and says no they're the unimportant we don't need them and Jesus says i invite the birds of the air the wild birds to come into my kingdom This is an invitation to us. Maybe you don't recognize yourself this way because you like to think of yourself as an insider, but you are an outsider to God. Your sin is heinous to him. He is holy. You are not. You are an outsider to God. And here, Jesus Christ is saying, I'm inviting all sinners, all of those that are outside, to come into my kingdom. His kingdom is open to the outsiders And then secondly, we see this uh, community, uh, another throwaway statement. Look at uh, verse 33 toward the end, the woman how where did she hide the leavened dough? Where did she hide it? It says he says she hid it in three measures of flour. three measures of flour. Now unless you have a little note at the bottom, Uh, of your Bible, you don't know how much that is because we don't know uh, what it means to have three measures or three pecks or anything like that, whatever your translation says. This is actually 47 pounds of flour. 47 pounds of flour. About two weeks ago, Amy made a, a, a loaf of bread for us, and it was a pound of flour, one pound of flour for the two of us. It took us three weeks to eat this bread and eventually had to throw it away because it was getting moldy. One pound and we couldn't eat all it. This woman takes 47 pounds of flour. She puts leaven in it. What is this woman going to do with 47 pounds of flour and the hundreds of pounds of dough that it's going to make? What is she going to do with it? Well, this woman is obviously cooking not for herself. She's not breaking bread for herself, but she's making bread for her community. Here's what's happening here. This is an invitation to come and partake of the work that she is doing. This is an invitation to come as a community of God's people. And you are invited, those that are outside are invited to come and partake of Christ, the poor, the needy. Sinners like you and me are invited by Christ in this parable to come and to partake of him, to be involved in his community. And this is very much an invitation. And the good news is that you are invited into Christ's kingdom. Now, how how is it that a holy God, Jesus Christ, can invite sinners like us into his kingdom? He invites us. Here's the deal. He invites us into his kingdom because he was banished on the cross. We don't think about it in these terms, but we really should. On the cross, Jesus Christ was taken to the outskirts of the city, outside of the city, and he was slaughtered and sacrificed. Why was he slaughtered and sacrificed there? He was slaughtered and sacrificed, banished from the city so that we could come into the city, so that we could come into his kingdom. Jesus Christ on the cross took your place. He took your sin. He gave you his righteousness. So that you could be invited to his feast. So that you can partake of his kingdom, of his goodness, of his joy, of his peace. He gives you his righteousness so that you can be in his kingdom. Here Jesus is saying if you want to be a part of his kingdom, well it's about smallness, it's about ordinary things. And it's about him going to the cross so that you can be invited in. Let me conclude in this way. This is a reorientation for those of us that are in Christ. It's a reorientation to the small things of life. We need to be reminded of this. You're going to go home in a little bit. Many of you are going to um, turn on the TVs. You're going to watch the saints get beat again. Um, There's all of these small things that are going to happen in the midst of this day. Here's the deal. It's the reorientation. These parables are the reorientation to see God at work in all the small things, in the conversations, and the little words that we say. Right? Your Husbands, you're going to be tempted to just want to sit there and let your wife do everything. And when she asks you to do something, you're going to say, ah, da, 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 The small things. Maybe respond in kindness and gentleness. Wives, if you're going to have an opportunity to serve your husband and to love him and to serve your children and to love them in the small things, not the big things, the everyday things. Tomorrow, school starts again, right? And it's in the small things you have an opportunity to serve. For those that are not in Christ, today is the day you're invited. You're invited to partake of the Lord. It's just an ordinary Sunday, an ordinary Sunday where God is doing the work of saving his people. All of you, if you do not have faith in Christ, are invited to come to his kingdom in joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this day once again. We thank you for working in the small and the mundane, in the ordinary things. We thank you for giving us your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we say it over and over and over. And it's so easy to forget that that sacrifice is the sacrifice that made us right with you. I pray that we would not despise the small things. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't despise the small things, even us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.